Episode 5, Meeting the Cowboys, Part 4 Runaway Gun Orient gun in a safe direction. Master switch, standby. Allow gun to fire out. Gun switch, safe. Today we are meeting Jeff. Somehow, uh, Jeff became my biggest problem child and, simultaneously, my most trusted confidant in our time downrange. Um, he's always well-intentioned, but sometimes doesn't think things all the way through, like the time he ball-tapped a senior warrant officer from another unit and almost got kicked out of the country before I even got there. Um, but that's, that's a different story for a different time. Jeff is just a bull in a china shop. He does everything big. Um, he likes to lift big weights, laugh big, tell big stories, and that's all just because Jeff has really big feelings. Um, he's one of those guys that isn't like lukewarm on anything. Uh, if it's from politics to music to food to God, um, Jeff has big, strong feelings about all of it, and his personality matches. Um, and I also just want to take a moment to preface this introduction with a quick reminder. Uh, I don't want to qualify that anything Jeff will say, but I do want to put it all in context. Um, his, as time has gone on, I think a lot of people have asked really good, tough questions about the war on terror. You know, who are the terrorists that we're fighting today? Is this counterinsurgency thing working? If it isn't, what might be better or what would be worse? Is this war ever going to end? Um, is it is it worth all the bloodshed? And are we really accomplishing what we set out to accomplish? Um, you know, today we have the beautiful benefit of hindsight to ask some of these thoughtful questions because um, as, as time has gone on, the answers are, are obviously like way less clear. But um, today, Jeff is going to share some of his thoughts and feelings about war and about killing and his motivations in joining the active duty force. And I just want us to all keep in mind the time frame from which he shares all of those things. Jeff was a reservist when 9-11 happened, um, when the shock of being attacked at home hit the country. And unity against a foreign enemy was pretty clear and precise like we had an enemy and that enemy had a name al-qaeda we had people sign up to fight that enemy and then a president who opened another theater of operations in the name of fighting terrorism again we now may look back on that with a more scrupulous eye um, but jeff was one of those guys who wanted to defend his country and um, so he went Jeff is one of my heroes for a lot of reasons, um, but one of them is that he trusted me. Jeff was my senior aviator on our deployment. He was the instructor pilot for our platoon, and I flew with him uh, the most my first month or so downrange because I was the least experienced aviator. It's a weird dynamic to be the boss on the ground, but then the newbie in the air. I think there are some personalities that don't work well in that environment. Some warrant officers aren't great at relinquishing control once they're on the ground. And some officers aren't great at relinquishing control in the air. Um, but 
Jeff showed me that he trusted me when I made decisions or put out guidance or called meetings. Jeff never tried to throw his experience around to bull, like bully me into anything else. Um, he never questioned what I was trying to do and he didn't go around my back to try and make something happen. Um, and similarly, I really trusted him. I trusted him to teach me how to be a good pilot and to be a good decision maker in the air. I trusted him to take care of me when I didn't know a lot about the world going on around me um, and kind of keep me out of trouble. And he did just that. I owe a lot of my successes as an aviator to the foundation that Jeff helped me build. Um, It would have been easy for such a large guy with such a big personality to kind of shut me out, uh, both as a pilot and as a platoon leader, but, uh, but Jeff never did that. And so for that, he is a hero of mine. So without further ado, here is Jeff. This is the best compliment I've ever received in my life. Uh, Colonel Blackman looks at Colonel Francis and says, look, Jeff is the kind of guy that you put behind a glass case and on the glass you write, break in case of combat. I've been active duty for 17 plus years. I started college with a... ROTC scholarship, and I went to an engineering school in Chicago that was way too smart for me. So when I flunked out and lost the scholarship, I continued to try college um, and continued to flunk out because I was chasing the party scene as much as I could. And since my father was paying, he finally said, hey, man, I'm not going to pay anymore you should probably join the Army Reserves so the GI Bill can pay for you to go to college. Uh, at which point I, I signed a contract to be a 46 Quebec, which is an Army journalist. And I did that in the Army Reserves in Nashville, Tennessee for a couple years. So I was in the Reserves for maybe another two years before 9-11 happened, and I shipped off to be an active duty guy. As with everyone, um, I was curious about what Jeff was up to when 9-11 happened. So I was working at an O'Charlie's on Bell Road on the south side of Nashville. And I was living at my parents' house. Because I worked as a waiter, I was up pretty late. And at about 8 o'clock in the morning, my mother called me, who was a school, t- a school teacher. And she said, hey, we're under attack. And I turned the TV on and I saw the plane fly, the second plane fly into the World Trade Center. Prior to 9-11, um, Jeff had a bit of a complicated relationship. He and his girlfriend at the time found out they were pregnant. And so he proposed. They were engaged. Then the engagement ended. And nine days after 9-11, Jeff's first baby was born, a happy and healthy bouncing baby girl. Um, Given that Jeff just became a dad and he was working and was in the reserves, um, I was curious as to why he decided joining the active duty force was a good idea. My immediate thought was, I'm not going to be able to kill any of these terrorists with my camera and an ink pen. I would say that was that was 50% of it, and the other 50% was I had a baby that I didn't get to see, and I was trying to do the weekend father thing, and it just wasn't working out. And and I thought, you know, I can go off to war and die a hero, and that didn't work out either. So I, I signed up with an 18 x-ray 
contract and I reclassed infantry and I went to airborne school and I went to Fort Bragg. I wanted to be the guy with the beard and the cool M4 that, I don't know, rode a donkey into the Taliban territory and killed everybody. Um, so real quick, Jeff signed up to be an active duty soldier, and in doing so, he signed a contract to be an 18 X-ray, um, which is one of the many paths you can take to join the special forces. And that's obviously a long road to graduate that course. Um, and before you do so, there are so many phases of training to go through. Um, so Jeff started down that road by going to airborne school and then reporting to Fort Bragg uh, for his next few phases of training. Jeff ends up not going through with the Special Forces plan. Um, instead, he left the course and went to the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg to be just your standard old infantryman. Um, infantry guys are like the dudes on the ground that you think of when you think of a soldier. Um, the guys with the rifles patrolling around, going into buildings, fighting the enemy on the front lines. So by the time Jeff left Tennessee after 9-11, got through part of the special forces training phases, left the special forces training phases, and then actually got married, um... 2003 had rolled around, and of course with that, the invasion of Iraq, um, and the 82nd had a big role to play in that. And, um, you know, the 82nd guys were like, hey, we're about to go to Iraq, and uh, I was invading, I think, March 17th of 2003. I asked Jeff what it was like being a young ground guy getting ready to invade. We did a lot of training in Kuwait. We were there for a month. We deployed on Valentine's Day. I remember it was cold and rainy and drizzly at Fort Bragg, and I had a a wife with a one-year-old. Um, I did not know at the time that she was pregnant with our second, um, and she was very upset that I was leaving her. And I got on a plane, and I arrived in Kuwait, and it was about a billion degrees like someone had a hot blow dryer in my face when i got off the plane and uh we spent a month there training in the desert and on falaka island clearing rooms the only thing i ever knew about the invasion was there was a tent in our camp in kuwait and it had a layout of the baghdad international airport and they took us in there and we learned all of the phase line names and the building slash objective names. And then we rigged all of our stuff and I couldn't stand up under the weight of the parachute and the rucksack. Um, I spent one whole night rigging Humvees and LMTVs to be air airdropped. And then they told me I wasn't going to jump. So two people out of every squad was pulled from the jump because all of the field grades and sergeant majors that wanted a mustard stain or a combat jump were going to get on it. And I remember looking at my team leader and saying, Hey man, I'm your saw gunner or squad automatic weapon gunner. You really want to pull me off the jump? And they're like, got to do what we got to do. And, and uh, then they canceled the whole thing. I was infinitely curious about how much Jeff did or didn't know um, about what he was doing when he got into Iraq, regardless of whether they were going to jump in airborne style or drive in. And his response was 
perfectly Jeffrey. So in the infantry, they say we're treated like mushrooms. We're kept in the dark and fed shit. I, I was not told anything. I was told, hey, guys, in a couple hours, we're going to get on a C-130. So we did. And then we landed. And it was it was like a circus getting off the back of this thing. We had, you know, the ramp lowers and everybody starts rushing off because we don't know what we're going into. And we had this one kid with us. And he was probably 100 pounds soaking wet. And he had 60 millimeter mortars packed in his rucksack but he didn't pack them well enough. So they just start dropping out onto the floor of the airplane and we're trying to pick them up and shove them back in his rucksack because he's in weapon squad. And, and we get off in the dark and I don't know where I'm at. I remember asking somebody like, where are we? And someone, someone told me we were at Talil air base. Um, we sat there for a little while and then we loaded up on a convoy of soft sided trucks and I remember our two drivers were female National Guard members. And my entire platoon got in the back of a deuce and a half. So like 40 dudes in the space of you know maybe maybe 10 people could spread out and be comfortable. And we took off driving in the dark, 13 hours. But it was it was it covered a 70 kilometer straight line distance. So you're talking 30 miles in 13 hours. And, and the, the 82nd Airborne Division takes a lot of pride in owning the night. So we, you know, train under NVGs all the time. We do night jumps. We do night shoots. And we drove through the night. But once we got to the town of Asamoa, and I knew it was the town of Asamoa because there was a road sign and it was in English, um, the sun was coming up. So we started our push to take the town of Asamoa in the daylight. And I'm thinking, man, we got these goggles. It'd be really good to do this in the dark. Yeah, we stopped for several hours while a village near us was getting just hammered. And later on, we were told that was the rescue of Jessica Lynch and her team. When Jeff told me that he was close enough to where Brody was in the operation to rescue Jessica Lynch, and I said, Jeff, do you realize that you were like that close to what Brody was doing? Uh, he seemed not nearly as interested in like the fate circles that aligned um, to make that happen. I seem to remember having this conversation with him, but I it could just be a false memory. Again, knowing Jeff like I know Jeff, I just couldn't picture him handling not knowing what the plan was very well at all. Uh, like I said, Jeff has strong opinions about pretty much everything, and he hates being uninformed. And so I was really interested in knowing what he was like as a young infantry mushroom um, without a lot of say in what was going on. So again, I was a mushroom. I never knew what we were doing. It was get on this truck and go here but I didn't know where here was until I got off the truck. And then I would look around and think, okay, I'm on the North side of Katamiya. Um, we, we did not look at a map or do a sand table for the entire time I was there. When I went to Fallujah, we, we were in a chemical weapons factory in Iraq and they said, Hey, some helicopters are coming to pick us up and we're going to go do an operation. And then we landed in Fallujah 
and I didn't know it was Fallujah until I saw a road sign. We we got in the back of a a dump truck that the walls were so high we couldn't see over, and the entire platoon was in this dump truck. And I remember making a comment, something like, man, a, an RPG would really suck right now. And everybody was like, shut the fuck up, Callan. So we drove in this dump truck across a bridge and then got off of it and cleared a police headquarters. But there was nothing there. Um, there was a lot of propaganda about the bath party and all of that. But there was there were no people. Jeff's unit went into Fallujah. Um, but it was before the more newsworthy events like the Second Battle of Fallujah transpired. I did get 15 days of R&R because my ex-wife gave birth to our son. Um, but then my battalion messed that up. Um, a guy named Baron Sawyer's wife was also pregnant. And she was due later than my wife, ex-wife. But they sent him home first. So they induced his wife. And then I was 10 days late and missed the birth of my son. I remember we were at a range. So you're in combat and they decide that you need to do a field exercise. So we went to a desert range north of Baghdad for a week and did enter and clear a trench training and enter and clear a room training. And we lived in the dirt, like just a sleeping bag and nothing else. And my battalion commander came up to the company area with a sat phone and said, Specialist Cowan, is there a Specialist Cowan here? I said, that's me. He said, hey, you've had a boy. Talk to your wife. There's another long story to be had here. Um, But the short of it is that he was in Iraq for about a year when his unit redeployed back to the States. Um, When he got home, he ended up going to ranger school and then after ranger school, he decided to put in his packet to become a warrant officer. Um, that decision seemed to be based a lot on the fact that, as with any job, sometimes bosses can make things that should be fun suck really bad. Um, so Jeff put in his packet and headed towards Fort Rucker. So my father, my uncle Dave, my uncle Dwight were all rotary wing guys in Vietnam. And my cousin Adam, I believe at this time, had already graduated as a 58D guy from flight school. So I, I think I still have my warrant officer application. And they ask you to write like a mission statement of why you want to be a pilot. And in my mission statement, I could probably go find it right now and read it verbatim. But based on my memory, I said something about strafing the Bath Party headquarters in Iraq with a 30 millimeter chain gun from an Apache helicopter. I went to flight school wanting to be a 64 driver. And it wasn't until we did aircraft selection and they came in and talked to us about the mission of the airframe that I was like, no, this Kyle Warrior thing sounds a whole lot cooler. Like landing on the battlefield to talk to a ground force commander, uh, shooting people from the door with your M4 as you fly over their heads close enough to hit their head with your skid. I mean, whatever it was, sold me. Jeff ended up selecting Kiowas as his airframe of choice and would then go on to two tours in Afghanistan before I caught up with him in 2013. We will certainly hear more from Jeff later on in the series. Next week, 
we will be taking a break before we begin the next chapter, War Stories. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have questions that you would like for us to answer in a Q&A episode at the end of the series, please submit them to membersofsocietypodcast at gmail.com. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share with your friends or leave us a review on your listening platform. Thank you so much for joining us. Death Rides.